In this series of special industry podcasts produced by C-Centric, Chief Executive Wayne Bruce discusses some key issues with senior executives in the Australian healthcare sector. In this podcast, Wayne talks with Dr Tony Sherman, Chief Executive, Department of Health, South Australia. Tony, thanks very much for your time today. Can I ask you, where do you see the healthcare industry heading over the next five years? Well, in Australia, the the biggest issue will be demographic change as we uh, watch the baby boomer generation move into the high need uh, age groups for healthcare, and that'll be by far the most uh, predominant driver in Australian healthcare in the next five to 25 years, actually. Uh, So with uh, the baby boomer generation moving into a chronic disease age group, we'll see more and more chronic disease and the need for the health system to become better coordinated so that people with chronic disease get a more effective level of care, particularly outside of hospital, and also understanding of how to keep people well, uh, or at least their functioning, or their level of functioning maximised whilst uh, they're living with their chronic disease. So our long-term strategies in South Australia are focused on uh, keeping people well in the community, providing supports to general practice to keep people well, and to uh, to ensure that hospital systems are ready to communicate closely with other healthcare providers. And do you think that that will lead to a, a more integrated care path involving primary care, hospitals, hospital in the home and so on? We will need to build a more integrated care path. Um, at the moment, the Australian health system is fractured between Commonwealth-funded services, state-provided and funded services, and, and privately-provided services, most, most importantly, general practice. The best way to bring those services together is to build a, an infrastructure that shares information between all sectors, and the, the importance of the National Electronic Health Record cannot be understated in that process and uh, the work that's slowly but steadily proceeding at national level to build a national system of health identification in the first instance and then a national system of health information exchange is extremely important in preparation for that major shift in demographic demand that we're going to see for the next 25 years. And what's your view on the Commonwealth Government's national health and hospitals reform process? I think it's been a very productive process. We've been uh, pleasantly surprised at the frankness of the Commission. I think it's made some good observations and some good recommendations which will crystallise into a final report in the coming weeks or months. The, The Commission's identified nearly all the key issues that we see going forward and put forward some good responses or good options to all governments to consider a way forward. Perhaps the e-health agenda is understated and that probably needs to be strengthened in the final report. But the Commission has captured the major issues, demographic change, the need to to address the demand that's coming our way with newer, more integrated models of care, the importance of general practice, the importance of primary health care, the importance of prevention. I think the Commission has done a good job in identifying those issues And we're very keen to work with the federal government in the coming years to progressively change the system to meet that expected increase in demand and also to address very important 
issues probably of lesser volume but similar importance such as Indigenous health and the care of young children, getting young children off to a healthy start and a good start in life. So, yeah, we think the Commission's done a good job. It could probably pick up the National Electronic Health Record as a, uh, an important piece of infrastructure uh, a bit more strongly in its final report. But apart from that, we think the Commission's just about got most issues covered that we would like to see covered and certainly provide a solid range of options for governments. And Australia's healthcare system is a, is a mix of public, private, not-for-profit providers. What role do you see that each of those groups play in the overall delivery of healthcare? I think the private general practice will grow in importance over the next 25 years and needs to be supported by both Commonwealth and state governments in a strengthened role. Inherent to the, to the nature of private general practice is an independence of practice that uh, can lead to fragmentation of the healthcare system. But if infrastructure is, is shared and, and uh, collaborative behaviour by general practice incentivised, then we think there's a very strong role for private general practice to lead the way to providing better primary health care to all Australians and as a result keep them as well as possible and if they've got a chronic condition keep them keep their function as as as, as high as possible and and allow the hospital sector to deal with those who require acute care in a more sustainable manner as we head to a, a, a very significant increase in demand. Mm. Uh, we see the public system as, as providing supports to general practice and primary health care. We see hospitals as a resource in support of those who need acute care, but we see the major provision of health care being in the primary health care sector. And we've actually invested a lot of state government funds uh, in supporting uh, primary health care providers, mainly general practice, in delivering coordinated functions and services to people who need help in their homes or in their residential aged care setting. We see a very strong role for private general practice in the future, not for profit providers, particularly in areas like mental health uh, that require a holistic approach to um, client care or patient care. We see a very strong role for not-for-profit NGOs. They, they do provide a very, when well run, they provide a very solid basis for holistic care of complex clients. Uh, they have a strong appreciation for housing and employment needs of uh, complex clients. So we're looking forward to working with not-for-profit providers, particularly in mental health and other complex areas of healthcare in the future. And what do you see as the key issues facing the public health system in attracting and retaining talent at the senior levels? Well, healthcare is, is so demanding and, and never-ending. Uh, nothing ever seems to be fixed in healthcare. It's a social service, so there, it's not like we're, we're running a series of projects that have a beginning and end. We, we do have some project work, but by far the most predominant work format in management in healthcare is, is continuous system improvement. Uh, the, the job is never done, it's never finished, there's always a new issue to resolve and most issues 
have a have no resolution point. They have a point at which you you could argue that systems have improved, but there's always another day in the system that requires further system improvement. So we need managers who can stick with a task, uh, build on their service expertise to continually improve services, work together across sectors, look for opportunities to work together across sectors, and think broadly. Uh, and I think the successful healthcare manager of the future is someone who runs a service, is resilient enough to continue to press for continued service improvement and better services to clients and patients, but strategic enough to look outside of their organisation for opportunities to work with others in improving patient care. So um, it's, it's a system that, that will require people who are dedicated and persistent and competent to deliver uh, continual improvement in the system. Our job is never done and we have to keep working away to improve the system. And just what competencies do you think are essential for today's people in healthcare? You've just named a number. I'm just wondering, there's a group of perhaps the administrative executive management in health. There's a, a second group, which is very much your clinicians that are heading up departments and streams and so on. Mm. Do you think they need the same competency set or are there differences or complementary sort of competencies there? There is much in common, but there are slight differences. Healthcare executives, I think, need to be strategic in outlook so that they can prepare for the future. No one will be able to manage a healthcare service by burrowing away internally over the next 20 years. There'll be too much change around them. They'll become overwhelmed if they don't look outside the organisation and look for key partners to work with to, to manage the patient demand that's heading our way. Healthcare executives need to be very competent in a day, daily operational manner. The, the great failing I see amongst some people who come into the system are they forget that despite the need to be strategic, they're still going to run an organisation. And daily um, operational competence is something that is sort of bread and butter work for any manager, but also for a healthcare executive. Clinical leaders, I think, the main difference in clinical leadership to healthcare executive leadership is the need to remain scientifically abreast of development such that clinical leaders are looking for opportunities in, in medical science to improve the care of their patients, but also improve the ability of the system to, to uh, meet increases in demand. So what the good clinical leaders that I work with are doing is picking up best practice around the world and or, or even generating local best practice to lead the world that utilises uh, changes in knowledge or developments in knowledge to drive a more efficient and more effective system. So, for instance, uh, the best health, uh, the best clinical leaders are driving changes in their own service so that they can manage the demand of the future. So, for instance, a good example is a, a team of physicians working closely with emergency physicians and GPs to provide a streamlined model of care for a range of chronic conditions so that patients don't bounce in and out of the system. And the good clinical leader will 
will look for the world's best or even create the world's best by changing their service so that it can meet new demands. And that's the, the great advantage clinical leaders have over generic or, or post-clinical managers in that, that uh, they can bring an understanding of the patient needs and modify the system, gaining the um, uh, enthusiasm of their clinical colleagues to implement a real change for patients. And they can make an enormous difference at not only an organisational level but also a system level if they bring about clinical innovation and, and change in a model of care that results in a more sustainable system. And Tony, if I could ask you in closing, if you had uh, to give a piece of advice to a, a young aspiring healthcare manager uh, to build a successful career, what, what are the key things they should be looking to do, do you think? Uh, build, build basic competence. Uh, so I, I think if I was a 20-something-year-old a uh, ambitious healthcare manager, I would ensure that I built my basic competence in the bread and butter of management, that's people management, financial management and, and development of strategic skills. Um, I'd look for opportunities. I'd be, um, uh, depending on your family circumstance, of course, but the more young people uh, or aspiring, ambitious people look for opportunities in rural Australia to perhaps do a job that would take a long time to get into in a metropolitan setting or look for opportunities to provide services that that are in places that are not perhaps as popular to live in as others, then you can really make a big uh, uh, difference in your own career, accelerate your career. In in the end, make a big difference to the people that really matter, which is uh, the community and patients. That's great. Thanks for your time, Tony.